Amen. Thank God he's alive. I'll uh, invite you to turn in your Bibles uh, tonight to Hebrews chapter 11. As I mentioned before, we're teaching a faith seminar, um, teaching on the subject of faith. And, and I really had in my heart to teach on some things that maybe approach them from some different, uh, different ways, different angles. There's a lot of good teaching out there on the subject of faith. We've done a lot of teaching on the subject before, uh, and that uh, things that are materials that are available at the bookstore as well. But I really had on my heart just to kind of approach this from a different angle and take my time, and, and um, which is kind of tough for me to do sometimes. But uh, take my time and just really take some things apart, and, and hopefully we'll uh, have a chance to see some things in a different way. So thank you, Lord, for utterance to speak the word tonight in the way that the people need to hear. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for. We talked last uh, Wednesday night about the relationship between faith and hope. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It's uh, uh, one of the most difficult concepts in, uh, in all of the Bible is to explain how you can have evidence for something you don't see. And as a result, there's a lot of misunderstanding about what faith is. Uh, there's a there's kind of a general knowledge in the body of Christ about uh, this thing called faith, but uh, I know in my own experience, and especially dealing with people uh, concerning physical healing, what a lot of people think is faith isn't what the Bible identifies as faith. Now there's uh, the translations, other translations try to help us a little bit to give us uh, a little different uh, point of view on this uh, verse of scripture. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Other translations say the title deed or the warranty deed. Uh, other translations say uh, instead of the evidence of uh, things not seen, it says the proof of things not seen. But we're left with the same dilemma, and that is how do you have proof for something you can't see? The, the, uh, the reality is uh, our human nature, the, ma- the way that man's uh, physical uh, being is made up, we're used to being able to identify and prove and, and uh uh, look for evidence in things in the material realm. But the Bible says that faith doesn't have any evidence in the material realm. If you're looking to something in the material realm to tell you one way or the other, for example, if you're looking to the condition of your body to tell you whether or not you're healed, whether your condition is better than it was yesterday or worse than it was yesterday, that's not Bible faith. Faith is the evidence of things you can't see, never the evidence of things you can't. So you can't even say, I know my faith's working because I'm getting better. Because that's using material evidence or physical evidence to prove something that the Bible says is the proof of the unseen. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, and I heard Brother Hagin quote him and heard Brother Hagin say it for years. He said, I'm not moved by what I, be- I'm not moved by what I see. I'm not moved by what I feel. I'm only moved by what I believe. I've seen so many people... Uh, come to have hands laid on them or to be prayed for in some way or another to receive their healing and the, the, the body starts to improve. And the next time I see them, maybe it's the next week or next service time or whatever it is, they'll come back and they'll say, oh, Pastor Mike, I'm so glad. Uh, things have been just great. We prayed and, and things are getting better. I know I'm healed because things are getting better. And I know right away the devil's going to come with a counterattack and knock them flat on their face. Sure enough, maybe the next week or two weeks down the road, they'll come back and they say, Pastor Mike, I don't know what happened. I can't understand it. Things were getting better. I knew my faith was working. I knew that God had heard and answered our prayer because we prayed for healing and I was getting better and all of a sudden now things have taken a drastic turn for the worse. What happened? Well, nothing happened. Not a thing happened. What, as far as faith is concerned, nothing happened. What, uh, what was identified or what was made evident, uh, made clear, was that the individual was looking for physical evidence to prove what they, could, what they believed. 
And faith is the evidence of things not seen. Now, that, that creates a, a difficulty for us, as I said, because we're so used to dealing with the material realm. But folks, let me let, tell you something about the subject of faith. If you don't learn to look past the things that you can see with your physical eye and feel with your physical hand, you'll never get far with the things of God. That's why so many Christians stay, no matter how long they've been saved. That's why so many Christians never grow out of a babyhood stage. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Look at verse 6. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he that cometh unto God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Isn't it interesting that one of the first things the Holy Ghost tells you about faith is, number one, you can't please God without it. Now, let's stop and talk about that for a minute. If God cannot be pleased without faith and he demands that we live in such a way that's pleasing unto him then if he doesn't provide us a means to have faith then he's unjust we have a right to challenge his justice he would be requiring something of us that's outside of our ability to fulfill so if God requires faith or a pleasing lifestyle and faith is the only way to live in a pleasing manner to God then he has to make a way there has to be some way no matter what somebody else says no matter what uh, church doctrine might be then there has to be a way for us to obtain this faith so that we can be pleasing unto him it's interesting also that uh, that the Holy Ghost impresses I believe Paul was the writer of the, the book of Hebrews but whoever the author was is impressed of the Holy Ghost to talk about pleasing God and the things that you're supposed to believe, you're supposed to believe that God is. I believe that just doesn't just mean that he exists, but that he is who the Bible says that he is, number one. And secondly, you must believe that he's a rewarder. You, in other words, you'll never please God without believing that he's your rewarder. Not your judge. Not the one waiting for you to do wrong. You're never going to be pleasing none to God until you begin to accept and believe no matter what it looks like in your, in your own life, your own personal life, that you have to believe. You're required to believe that God's your rewarder. Required to believe that God is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, let's talk about a couple of scriptures. I'm, gonna, uh, I'm just going to give them to you. You can look at them if you'd like. There's three scriptures that I want you to be aware of. One is Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. In other words, Paul, who wrote the book, uh, the letter to the Romans, is telling us by the Holy Ghost that God is not unjust, that he gives us a means whereby we may obtain the faith that is necessary to please him. And that comes through the word of God. The second verse of scripture I want you to be aware of is Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, there's different ways you can interpret that. I believe both are accurate. One way is to interpret that, that salvation is the gift of God. Well, we know that's true. But I also believe that it's true that faith is the gift of God. That God gives you the faith to get saved. The third scripture I want you to be aware of is Romans chapter 12 and verse 3. Paul said, uh, now, I beseech you, brethren, that uh, you not think to every man among you, I speak to every man among you, that you not think more highly, King James says of himself, of himself, but it means everything else. That's in italics. That he not think more highly, that every man think not, think, not think more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. So we've got three scriptures that talk about faith and, and the, the obtaining of faith. One is Romans ten seventeen that says faith comes by hearing. 
and hearing by the word. Ephesians 2.8 says that faith is a gift of God. Romans 12.3 says faith is dealt. The measure of faith is dealt to every man. Now, we're left with uh, uh, some investigation now because if faith comes by hearing the word, and that means that if that means that the word of God is made available to us so that we can obtain the faith that is pleasing unto God, then the responsibility for faith is the individual's. Now, let's, uh, let me interrupt myself a little bit to, to talk about something that, uh, um, that's very, very important for you to understand. And I, I think we all do understand it in general sense, but, I, but so often I think we fail to, uh, to look at it in its entirety. I know that um, uh, I was, well, my, uh, my spiritual journey really began. I got saved when I was young, but my spiritual journey really began when I started hearing Brother Hagin teach some things about the Word because he was teaching that you can have things that the denominational uh, group that I was a part of and, and got saved with and, and grew up with said wasn't available. And so I knew both couldn't be right. Brother Hagin was talking about how that you can have what you say, that you, whatever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you can, shall have them. He started talking about God being a good God, wanting to answer your prayers, God being glorified when you get answers to your prayers and things like that. And that was totally contrary to the church I grew up in. Now, the church I grew up in taught me that God loved me, but they also taught me that God might do bad things to me just to teach me stuff. That God was able to do anything, anything was possible with him, but don't, and this was implied, not ever really said, but don't count on him ever doing anything good for you. That's what I came away with anyway. So I, I began to do some, uh, uh, some study when I heard some things that Brother Hagin said. And uh, um, after I listened to him a couple of times, then I started getting out my Bible. I mean, that wasn't something that we, we did regularly in the church I grew up in. Um, matter of fact, nobody ever brought their Bibles. There were Bibles in the pew, but, you know, they were covered with dust. Nobody ever used them. And, uh, but I started looking at the Bible, finding out that those scriptures that Brother Hagin was quoting and referring to were really in the Bible. Now, the denomination I grew up in taught me that everything in the Bible is true. So now I'm left with, well, wait a minute. Here's the book that they said was right and was true and from God. Why didn't they tell me about these scriptures? Well, consequently, Brother Hagin's stories had, an, had a tremendous impact on me. Because I'm, I'm trying to, to learn. I'm trying to, to live out some things on, on a much lower level and the beginning level, beginning stage of things. And so I heard Brother Hagin say some things and... and um, uh, thank God for his stories because I had a chance to to, uh, to learn some things a lot quicker than he did. I think that was one of the advantages of some of the things Brother Hagin went through and some of the experiences that the Lord led him through. And one of the, the stories of his that really got my attention was how when uh, after he had been healed as a teenager, now he's in the ministry and he's been in the ministry for a number of years. God's used him in, in some very supernatural and spectacular even ways. And, um, uh, and he started talking to the Lord about finances. And the Lord chastised him. The Lord rebuked him because he didn't live, in, live by faith. Well, Brother Hagin, uh, the way he described it, he said, I, I felt like, you know, the Lord had hit me in the stomach. I, 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 you know, I, and he said something to him. He said, Lord, I, you hit me a low blow. What do you mean I'm not living by faith? I was healed, raised up from the deathbed. And the Lord spoke back to him and said, Oh, yeah, you use your faith where healing is concerned. But you don't realize that faith is the same in every realm. You don't live by faith where your finances are concerned. Well, that got me to searching on some things. Look with me over to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This may be elementary, folks, but, but I think it's the simple things that sometimes we trip over. 
Notice beginning in verse 5. James writing by the Holy Ghost to the church said. If any of you lack wisdom. Let him ask of God. Well I think we all get to places. When, uh, when we need wisdom from God. Right? Now specifically the wisdom that he's talking about. Is related back to the previous verses. Where he's talking about if any of you is in trouble. Going through a temptation. Verse 2 for example says. My brethren count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this. Here's how you stay steady and count it joy. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work. I don't know if you know this or not, but going through a trial, and notice how I said that, going through, not just experiencing trouble, but going through trouble is a perfect work. We don't think of it like that, do we? We think of it as a hard time. Let's get out of this as quick as we can. But there are uh, things that we gain by going through. That means coming out victorious on the other side. By going through trouble and hardship. Because we find out what we have that we didn't know before. So he said, but let patience have a perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. I like another translation on this that says that victory may be fully restored. That's what perfect and entire means. Victory being fully restored. Fully restored fully restored folks don't let the devil have an inch don't make a deal don't be satisfied with just 90 percent of what it should be get the whole thing now in that context he says if any of you lack wisdom in other words if you're going through a hard place and you don't know what to do here's how to handle the situation let him ask of god and it, that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not and it shall be given him now it is re- referring to the wisdom If you need wisdom in the middle of your trouble, in the middle of your hard place, ask God because God gives it to all men liberally. And God will give you the wisdom that you need in a hard place. Don't ever be satisfied with not knowing what to do. You can get the answer from the Lord. But in that context, he says something about how you ask. Something about the prayer for asking for wisdom. Verse 6, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man, the man in wavering, the man in unbelief in other words. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. Now notice now he's not just talking about wisdom. Notice he doesn't say now if the man's wavering don't let him think he's going to get any wisdom. If that's all he's talking about then he did us a disservice by saying anything rather than wisdom. But now he's gone to explaining specifically about getting wisdom for your hard time, for the trouble that you're in, to explaining the principle whereby you receive anything and everything from God. And that's the principle of faith. Let not that man, the unbelieving man, the wavering man, those are synonymous terms. If you're wavering, then you're unbelieving. You're not in faith. That's not Bible faith. He says, let not that man, the man that wavers, the man that... uh, Uh, that's in unbelief let not that man think that he shall receive anything from the lord well then this is telling us that faith has to work the same in every area because the principle of faith is the means whereby you receive anything from the lord if it's the principle whereby you receive anything from the lord then faith is the principle whereby you receive everything from the lord Now, if based on what we've said and some of the verses we've already looked at, if God is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him, then you can understand why it's necessary 
for there to be faith, for you to operate in faith to please God because God wants to be your rewarder. But God can't be your rewarder unless you're in faith. God can't be your rewarder unless you have evidence of something you can't see. Which indicates to me that there's a lot of things God wants to do for his children that he's not able to because they won't believe. I know a lot of people say, well, Pastor Mike, not everybody has the same faith. Well, everybody can have. Again, if God demands faith to either bless you, reward you, or you to be able to receive anything and doesn't give you the means whereby you can get the faith so that you can receive, then he's unjust. You have a right to challenge his justice throughout the eternal court. But on the other hand, if he does give you the means whereby you can have faith to receive anything from the Lord, then the responsibility is back on the individual. Turn with me to uh, uh, Acts chapter 10. Let me show you a couple of examples just real quickly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but I think it'll be um, worthwhile for us to see some things as they're related by the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 10. Here's a story of Cornelius and how that the, the gospel uh, first goes to the, the, um, uh, the Gentiles in a uh, marvelous way. I'll start in verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of the band called the Italian band, a devout man and one that feared God with all his house, which gave much alms to the people and prayed to God always. He saw in a vision evidently about the ninth hour of the day an angel of God coming in to him and saying unto him, Cornelius, and when he looked on him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? And he said, Here's what the angel said unto him, Thy prayers and thine alms are come up for a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and call for one Simon, whose surname is Peter. He lodges with one Simon a tanner, whose house is by the seaside. Notice this phrase. He shall tell thee what thou oughtest to do. Now, folks, we're going to have this story related three different times in the next two chapters. Three different times it's going to be related to what the angel said. Notice each time that the Holy Ghost identifies something very, very important. The first time, Cornelius Uh, And Cornelius must be telling the story to Luke. He's getting the story as being part of Paul's company. Luke was the author of the book of Acts. And so Cornelius said that the angel said, he'll tell you, send send first Simon Peter in the city of Joppa. He'll tell you what you ought to do. He shall tell you what you ought to do. Look with me over to... um, uh, Skip over. Peter has his vision and he winds up going down there. And uh, verse 30. Here's when Peter and his company get to Cornelius' house. Here's Cornelius relating the story to Peter and his company. Those that have come down. And Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour I prayed in my house. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And said, Cornelius, thy prayer is heard. And thine alms are had in remembrance in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call hither Simon, whose surname is Peter. He is lodged in the house of one Simon a Tanner by the seaside, who, when he cometh, shall speak unto thee. First, it was tell you what you ought to do. Now he's saying that Peter will speak to you. We know the story how that uh, Peter preaches about Jesus. Verse 44, while Peter yet spake these words. He'll tell you what you ought to do and he'll speak to you. While Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles was also poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnifying God. Now this creates quite a stir among the, the uh, religious people in uh, Jerusalem. 
many of the religious people, the uh, Jews, have come into the church. And so now it's a big question about the Jews versus the Gentiles. Now in chapter 11, Peter is talking to the, to the, uh, the church body, the church leadership group. And he's explaining what happened and how all this stuff worked. Uh, he tells about his vision. And then he said, uh, and behold, three men were there. Verse 11, behold, immediately there were three men already come to the house where I was sent from Caesarea unto me. And the spirit bade me go with them, nothing doubting. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered into the man's house. And he showed us how he had seen an angel in his house, which stood and said unto him, send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter. Verse 14. Here's the third way that it's related. Who shall tell thee words? whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them and was on us at the beginning. Now that's the phrase I want you to see. He shall tell thee words. How did faith come for these people to get saved? Ephesians 2.8, we know it's faith. For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So the faith that you're saved by, the faith that's uh, and you can't get saved without faith. That faith is a gift of God. How is that gift given? Peter said that the angel related, and it's certainly accurate in all three. It's a little different wording in all three. But the faith to be saved comes by hearing words. But notice it wasn't just faith to be saved. They got filled with the Holy Ghost at the same time. So how does faith come to be filled with the Holy Ghost? By hearing words. Faith comes by hearing words. Folks, what I want to get across to you, and I'm going to try to hammer it home again and again and again, is that whatever you need, the faith to have that comes by hearing words. Words are the most important thing in your life. Because the faith to receive anything and everything you need from God comes by hearing words. Not by trying to get God to move, but by hearing words. Look with me over to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14 tells us about Paul's missionary journey. We'll start reading in verse 7. And there they preached the gospel. He's talking about in the cities of Lystra and Derbe. And there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. The same heard Paul speak. Who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed said with a loud voice, stand upright on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. How did the crippled man get faith to be healed? From hearing words. The words that are identified is Paul preached the gospel. Well, he can't just be talking about preaching that Jesus died for your sins. The gospel that the Holy Ghost identifies here through Luke, who's inspired to write these things to us, the gospel that Paul preached in Lystra had to include healing because without Faith, without hearing words concerning healing, he couldn't have had faith to be healed. So can we say that he was dealt the measure of faith and that measure of faith enabled him to be healed? But the question is still the same. How did that faith come? How was that faith given? How was that faith dealt? The answer is by the hearing of words. By the hearing of words. I'll remind you of Mark eleven twenty four, where Jesus is describing faith, uh, the operation of faith in prayer. Jesus said, therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire. When you pray, believe or have faith that you receive them and you shall have them. So how does the faith to receive anything you desire come? By hearing words. By hearing words. 
Faith to receive anything comes by hearing words. Faith to fix your problem comes by hearing words. Faith to solve your situation, whatever it is, to change your circumstance, whatever they may be, comes by hearing words. The question is never, do I have enough faith? The question is, have I heard the right words? Now, Jesus had a lot to say about hearing words. Turn back with me to, uh, uh, well, let's look at Mark's account. This is a a very important event that occurred in uh, Jesus' ministry. Both Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us a record of this uh, teaching that Jesus did. And, and this is just my personal opinion. You judge it for whatever you think it's worth. I personally believe that the only reason John didn't include it is because he knew it was so well documented in the other three Gospels. What's the point in saying the same thing that everybody already accepts and knows that John knew that these things were well published and well circulated before John ever wrote his Gospel? Why well, say the same thing? There were very few things that John added to or, or um, uh, repeated, I should say, He added to a lot of things that weren't in the other Gospels. Very few things that he repeated that the other ones gave record of. The ones that he did repeat were more for a point of reference of when it happened in Jesus' ministry than to give us new information. So he knows that Matthew, Mark, and Luke all relate this story. The fact that the Holy Ghost inspired all three of the writers who come at the the life of Jesus from a totally different angle. The fact that all three of them relate this story indicates to me that this is pretty important. Mark chapter 4. Jesus began to teach again by the seaside, verse 1, and there was gathered into him a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some 30 and some 60 and some 100. Now, we could talk about the, the, the parable and, and about uh, it's a great illustration about how spiritual growth takes place and the importance of the word in our lives and the result that it brings in our lives. But that's not my topic tonight. What I want you to see is the attitude that Jesus has toward hearing. Notice Jesus concludes this story by saying to the people, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, verse 10, and when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked him of the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables. Now I'm going to come back, I'm going to turn over to Matthew's account in Matthew 13 and read something because he gives us, Matthew gives us a little bit different uh, perspective on this. The disciples come to Jesus and ask him a different question. It's a similar question, but it's said in a different way. Verse 10, Matthew 13, verse 10, after Jesus said, Who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then in verse 10, the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou unto them in parables? Now we know clearly that he's not talking to his own disciples in parables. Because whenever he does speak a parable to the multitude, the disciples come and say, What does that mean? And Jesus explains clearly. 
So he's not trying to keep them in the dark about anything, yet he is speaking in parables for a very specific reason. Let me keep reading from Matthew's gospel. He answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. Now why? Why did God want something for the disciples that he didn't want for the multitudes? Because they hadn't made the same commitment. And remember the, whole th- the key to the whole thing, the key to understanding the parable, the key to understanding the whole of the, the kingdom of God. Mark, uh, I think it's Mark that said, uh, Mark's account that said, Jesus said, unto you it is given the mystery, to know the mystery of the whole of the kingdom of God. Not just to understand this parable. But he's saying if you understand the principle of this parable, you can understand anything and everything that I ever teach by parables. What is the key that unlocks the whole of the kingdom of God? He that has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, he's saying the hearing of words has everything to do with unlocking the kingdom of God for you. Jesus answered and said unto them, this is Matthew 13, 11, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but none to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Now, what's he talking about? Hath, having what? He who has what? He's just said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. He's talking about the same thing. He hadn't changed topics. So when he says, he that hath shall more be given, to the one that has ears to hear shall it be given. It's the key to the whole thing. Not only this parable, not only understanding this parable, it's the key to understanding everything about the things of God. Hearing and hearing by the word. Why? Because faith comes by hearing by the word of God. There's nothing more important in our life. There's nothing more important in the universe than hearing God's words. Not because they're the word of God. Not because from some religious thing, yeah, we should give God honor and respect. We should. Nothing wrong with that. Not denigrating that in any way. But because hearing the word of God is what provides you faith to overcome in every situation you encounter. It's the hearing of words that's going to make the difference in your life. It's not how strong you are. It's the hearing of words. For whosoever hath, verse 12, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. God doesn't seem to have a problem with you having a lot. Either a lot of faith or a lot of uh, your prayers answered or a lot of things, a lot of rewards from him. We'll focus on having great faith. The rewards will come simple. There'll be a simple thing to receive. Whosoever hath to him shall be given and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, hears to hear. In other words, those that refuse to hear the words that I'm speaking, from him shall be taken away even that which he has. In other words, he says the best and most sure way For you to guarantee that you're going to lose what you have. Is close your ears to the word of God. I wonder if that explains why so many Christians say. Well when I get to heaven I'm going to ask why God caused these things to happen to me. God caused my business to go bankrupt. Really? The Bible says if you have ears to hear more will be given to you and you'll have an abundance. Maybe it's a matter of they closed their ears to the word and just did their own thing and so the life got them. The God of this world who's the devil 
operated against them. You think? Oh, no, Pastor Mike. God did this to me to teach me something. Well, did you learn anything stupid? If you did, you're going to, be start, you're going to start hearing the word of God instead of what you did before. Okay, verse 13. He goes forward and says, Therefore, speak unto them in parables. Remember, that was the question. Why do you speak to them in parables? Not us. Why do you talk to them in parables? That's the reason they're asking the question. You talk a whole lot different to them, Jesus, than you talk to us. Why? Therefore, speak unto them in parables, because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which says, By hearing you shall hear and not understand, and seeing you shall see and not perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross. That, trans, uh, that uh, phrase, waxed gross, is uh, translated a bunch of different other things. Most of them have something to do with either hardness of heart, dullness of hearing, or dullness of heart. These people have become dull of heart. In other words, they refuse to hear. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed. Not God did it. They've closed their own eyes. Now notice this phrase, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted and I should heal them. Now a lot of people have trouble with that scripture. But it's really pretty clear. Salvation belongs to everybody. Jesus died for the sins of the world. But that doesn't mean God wants everybody in. Don't get me wrong. He's not picking winners and losers. He's not deciding who gets in and who doesn't. But God only wants those in his family who want to be with him. If everybody's spiritual eyes were open for a moment of time and they saw hell clearly, who's going to want to go there? Everybody wants to escape hell. Anybody that's ever given any thought, any serious thought to eternity, everybody wants to escape hell. Well, it's available for everybody to escape hell because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. But that doesn't mean God wants everybody to indiscriminately say, well, yeah, oh, yeah, I want to I make it to heaven. I want to live like the devil while I'm here, but I want to make it to heaven. I don't care what God said about anything, but, but give me salvation. Let me into heaven when I die. That's not the folks that God wants in. Why is he talking to the disciples clearly? Why is he enabling them to understand and not speak to them in parables and keep things hidden from them when he's uh, speaking in parables to the rest of the group? Now, now understand, anybody that's willing to hear could see through the parable and gain understanding and become a follower of Jesus. But what makes the difference between the multitudes and the disciples? The disciples have committed to follow Jesus. Literally, what that means is hear him. And because they have chosen to hear him in their lives, Jesus doesn't withhold anything from them. He even causes them to operate in the same miracle-working power that he is. That's pretty good for unsaved people. Are you out there? Do you see what Jesus is saying? Jesus is very simply saying, I'm not casting pearls before swine. I am the savior of the world. I came to redeem mankind. But I'm not foolish enough to think that everybody's for me. They might be for what I do. And I'm sure there will be a lot of people facing the gates of hell. They'll say, wait a minute. 
Give me another chance. But the only reason that they're there is because they refuse to hear him. You know how I mean that? Do you understand how I mean that figuratively? Accepting Jesus means you hear him. Do you see the point? Back to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 again. Now then, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How can we have evidence of things not seen? By hearing words. The impact of those words on our lives, on us individually, is the evidence of things not seen. And remember Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 63 when he was talking to the multitudes, He says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. What does that mean? Well, one thing it means is the words that he speaks, the words that God gave him to speak, the words that God gave him to tell us, or we might say it this way, the word of God in general, is a telescope into the spirit realm. What does the word of God reveal to us? It reveals what Jesus did for us. It reveals who we are in Christ. It reveals what belongs to us because of Jesus' sacrifice. There's no way you could ever know what belongs to you except from the Word of God, which is why so much of the church world doesn't know what to have. Because they heard Him concerning salvation. They wanted the Savior. But that's where they stopped hearing the Word. Or they may be in the same shape as some of the Pharisees. Mark chapter 7, Jesus talked to them and he said, you make the word of God of none effect by your traditions. They knew the word, meaning the law and the the prophets, the law of Moses. They knew what it was. They studied it day after day after day for decades of their lives. They knew the the law. They knew what the, the law had spoken. They knew what the prophets had spoken about the Redeemer. They knew all those things. Well, why didn't it work for them then? Why weren't they ready to receive Jesus when he came? Because they had changed the meaning of the word to what they wanted it to declare. When it said you've made the word of God of none effect by your traditions. That word tradition or at least one uh, meaning of the word tradition is uh, reasonings. Preconceived notions of what something means. So he's saying the truth of who I am. The truth of what I'm saying has been made of none effect for you. Because you've accepted that the word means something different than what it was intended to mean. Now, why, is the, why are the multitude's hearts uh, waxed dull? Why are they dull of hearing? Why are their eyes closed? Because they've closed them. How did they close them? Did anybody stand up and say, I don't care what God ever says, I'm going to believe what I want to believe? No, of course not. What'd they do? They said, I accept this interpretation of the word to mean you can do this, you can't do that, you can't do that, instead of what Jesus said that it meant. In other words, they were closed-minded to the truth that Jesus spoke. You, we, can, we can go through a lot of examples of this if we wanted to take the time. They, most of the crowd left him because Jesus said, except you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part in me. Well, it says even the disciples, many of the disciples turned away on that one because eating blood was, was one of the most taboo things you could do from the law of Moses. So now if Jesus is talking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood, wait a minute, he's gone too far. Yet if you've chosen to hear him in your life, if you've chosen to accept that he is the Messiah, that he is the Redeemer, 
Why wouldn't somebody stand up and say, wait a minute, Jesus, doesn't that contradict the law of Moses? There must be something I don't understand here. Can you clarify this for us? Nobody does. Why? Because they've settled in on their own thinking. They've settled in on what they think that things mean rather than gaining the true meaning of the word. Now, folks, we can be guilty of that, too. You can love God with all your heart. You can study the word of God 24 hours a day for the rest of your life. Every day for the rest of your life. And you can still be close to the meaning of the word if you've got your own mind made up about things. I know you've probably had the same experience that I have on a number of occasions. There are times where I've been meditating on the scripture and all of a sudden I'll see something. I'll say, wait a minute, it doesn't mean what I thought it meant. It, meant, it means this. And it just opens my eyes to the whole thing. Turn with me over to Luke chapter 24. Let me close with this story. I love this story in the, in the scripture. Luke chapter 24. This is after Jesus is raised from the dead. But before he's appeared to the disciples. He's appeared to Mary at the um, tomb, but he hasn't appeared to anybody else. Uh, Let's start reading in verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score furlongs, just a couple of miles. And when they talked together of all these things which had happened, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, uh, this is after Mary and uh, Mary Magdalene and Joanna and whoever else came back with the news that Jesus is raised from the dead. Peter runs to the sepulchre, doesn't see anything, doesn't see anybody, and that kind of stuff. And so all the apostles know of the story, and so they're talking about this stuff while they go. And when it came to pass while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Notice verse 16. But their eyes were holden that they should not know him. I wonder how many things our eyes are holding to that we don't see. It's clear from the principle, we'll come back to the story, but it's clear from the principle that just because you love God, just because you, you give some attention, just because you may sit in a service where you hear the word preached, that's not the thing that makes you have it, uh, hearing ears. Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. That's got to mean more than just the sound of the words being spoken. It means a receptivity. It means an openness of mind and an openness of heart to accept the truth of the word of God. No matter what we may think to the contrary. So they didn't know who he was. And he said unto them, what manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? What's making you so sad about this stuff? And one of them whose name was Cleophas answering said unto them, Are you only a stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have come to pass there in these days? And Jesus said unto them, What things? And they said unto him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed and word word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Please notice that phrase. Here's what the chief priests and the elders said about him. But here's who we thought he was. We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. In other words, we believe he's the Messiah. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, and certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. And when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it to be even as the women had said, but him they saw not. He's talking about when Peter and John ran to the, to the tomb. 
So notice their dilemma. Their dilemma is, man, we don't know what to think of this stuff. We thought he was the Messiah, but he's been dead for three days now. Jesus answers and says, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ who have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And at the beginning of and, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them and all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Folks, uh, this is just my thinking on this. I think Jesus really enjoyed this conversation. He's telling these guys, here's what the scripture said. Beginning with Moses, goes to the whole of the Old Testament. And said, when Isaiah said this, he's talking about the Messiah. When uh, Ezekiel said this, he's talking about the Messiah. When Hosea said this, he's talking about the Messiah. And they drew nigh unto the village where they went or where they were going. And he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened. Now, folks, I want you to understand something. I believe this is uh, I believe this is a literal story. I'm not trying to take anything away from the literal meaning of this. But I want you to understand they didn't see something new. It's just that their eyes were opened. They've been walking and talking with Jesus the whole way, but now all of a sudden their eyes are open. This is what happens when your spiritual eyes are open. Remember, that's what Paul prayed for the church in Ephesians 1, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened, that we would know what's the hope of our calling and what are the riches of the glory of our inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power that works in us as believers. He's not saying, I pray that you would finally hear that these things belong to you. He's praying for the church, that our eyes would be opened. We already see them. We're reading these things. But let our eyes be open so that we really get it. They're in the presence of Jesus. They don't get it. But man, when their eyes are opened, things change. And their eyes were opened and they knew him. And he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, I love this scripture. Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us by the way and while he opened to us the scriptures? And what do we know about these guys? They had ears to hear. Otherwise, their hearts wouldn't have burned in them. That's why you have two people in the same service hearing the same truth. One person's looking at his watch, yawning, trying to figure out how long is it going to be before we get out of here. Person may be sitting right next to them. Is seeing things with the eyes of their spirit. It comes down to having ears to hear. It comes down to a willingness to hear words. And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And found the eleven gathered together and with them. And them that were with them. Saying the Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. In other words these two go back and say hey now we've seen him too. It's not just the women we've seen him too. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in the breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. He talks to them, says he's not a spirit, handle me, touch me and all that kind of stuff. Uh, notice in verse 44, and he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, 
that all these things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures. Remember what Jesus said? To him that hath shall more be given and he'll have an abundance. The more ears to hear you have, the more determination, the more you are determined as an act of your own will to hear the word of God. The more understanding you'll gain and the more abundance it'll bring into your life. Let me encourage you to do something. Don't just read your Bible. Say before you read your Bible, I'm going to feed my spirit. I'm going to hear the word of God. You get in the habit of saying those things. You get in the habit of talking the way that Jesus talked about it. You'll get a whole lot more out of it. He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Folks, faith works the same in every realm. It works the same for salvation as it works to be filled with the Holy Ghost, that it works to receive finances, that it works to receive healing, that it works to have the desires of your heart answered by the Lord. And it all works the same way by words. By words. The angel said to Cornelius, who will call for Peter, who will tell you words whereby thou might be saved. He'll tell you words. The answer is the words. Hearing the words that God has spoken to us. Hearing the words that the Holy Spirit has delivered to us. That's the answer to every problem you'll ever have in your life. It's the answer for everything that you'll ever encounter. It's the same principle of faith. Believing in the unseen and the word reveals the unseen realm to you. That's why hearing the words are so important. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus said, they are spirit and they are life. Would it make sense to hear those words? Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us the means whereby we can have the faith to receive from you anything and everything that we need. Thank you, Father, that we have the privilege and it is a privilege to believe in what we can't see. To understand through the hearing of the word of God that the unseen realm is even more real than the one we can see. The one we can contact with our physical body. Father, thank you that the hearing of words brings the faith for all the things that we desire. Brings us the faith whereby we can receive everything that we need Everything that we desire here on this earth. Thank you, Father, for opening the eyes of our understanding. The eyes of our spirits. As we hear the words, Father. The words that the Holy Ghost has given to us. The very word of God. Open our understanding, Lord. Open the eyes of our spirit that we shall have even more. Give us greater revelation, greater wisdom. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. That we might know what belongs to us. Through Jesus' sacrifice. That we know... What your plan is for our lives. And that we'd know the exceeding greatness of your power that works in us as believers. Open our eyes to what we have, Father. We don't ask for more. We just ask you to open our eyes to what we have. That we might walk thereby. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.